Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Good morning, uh, Holly. Hi, Bill. How are you? I am okay. It's kind of a sad and heavy time. I keep thinking a lot about uh, the people who were killed at the concert on Friday night here in Houston. And uh, some of the people that I have run into since Friday night, at least two people had intimate connections with two of the people who died, uh, who were killed in that uh, thing. And the stuff that I have been reading in the paper about it it's still today is the main front page story of the houston chronicle and it seems that uh there was a lot of complicity on the part of the promoters and the performer in that and it seems that uh, there were a lot of things that could have been done to protect it and prevent it from happening and they were those steps weren't taken it's just a needless tragedy absolutely ache for the parents of those children. I read, and this sounds so judgmental for somebody who tries to teach about not judging, but I read that one of the victims was nine years old, and I wonder what world was a nine-year-old doing at that concert? Yeah. Violent Uh, language, everything about it disturbs me. Yeah, um, it's really it's really sad. I mean, this is a collective tragedy. Uh, I don't want to say it's equal to, but it's like a 9-11, right? Where a huge group of people experience a single event. And I'm glad that at least on NPR, I'm hearing them give a lot of attention to what it could be like to feel PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, even from being a witness. Um, And they're, you know, they're having a lot of experts on to talk about that and how to get help from that. But um, yeah, I mean, it is a collective trauma. And I think about this is a kind of a genre of music that attracts so many young people. My, my kiddo had a friend who's in fifth grade go, go to the concert. I had gone to a concert by the time I was in fifth grade. I was accompanied by my parent and it was kind of a you know, sort of a time out of time, a special event. It, it was Boy George, <laughs> but <laughs> so it was a pretty tame concert, all things considered. But um, but yeah, this got out of hand. And I think there is a kind of, I imagine overwhelm on this side of it. Like, wow, we didn't know that this would get this bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it it's hard to backtrack on that when things went so wrong. Mm-hmm. So we um, really offer our condolences to everybody who has been affected yeah. by this tragedy. Absolutely. And changing topics dramatically, I mm-hmm. want to let people who are listening to this podcast know that this Saturday at St. Paul's, beginning at 4.30, there is an event featuring Diana Butler Bath, mm-hmm. who will give two presentations on Saturday. Uh, there will be a dinner between the two presentations. This event is free, but you have to register 
so that we know how many people are coming for the dinner and um, there are different kind of meal options available for people. So this is part of what um, a couple of the endowments here at St. Paul's make available and I'm proud to be part of that. Um, Diana Butler Bass is probably the most respected writer currently uh, on religion and public life in America. And uh, her most recent book is called Freeing Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I read the opening, I read that book and, and it's just a, amazing that the beginning of the book, at the beginning of the book, there is a quote by Anne Lamont mm. who says, uh, it's just mortifying to be a Christian, except mm. for the Jesus part. <laughs> and I think that that speaks to so many people who are in the demographic that come to ordinary life, people who uh, like the person and teachings of Jesus, but, but they have been badly wounded in one way or another by the church. And so there are people who attend ordinary life who walk across the plaza to come into the cathedral. And I fully understand that, that yeah. ordinary life is kind of like their church. And I'm glad that we have that available. So Diana Butler Bass will be here talking about her experience personally in needing to free Jesus and also what she sees going on in uh, the, the country as, as a whole. And those of you who uh, would like just a taste of what she does, can go to the Ordinary Life website and look at the text of the talk that Holly and I did this last Sunday. And at the very end of it, I quote uh, Diana Butler Bass extensively mm -hmm. about her reflections on the disappointing to her election in West Virginia last Tuesday. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I have not read Freeing Jesus, but just the title gives me an idea about what it is about. Um, and you know, I, th I think so much about the idea and what you've talked about for so long is we narrow in on Jesus as the single way truth in life, right? Again, to quote one of our favorites, Sarah Grant, um, it wasn't the way because Jesus walked it. Jesus walked it because it was the way that mm -hmm. in, in a sense, we must free Jesus by having faith in something so much larger than even Jesus, mm -hmm. right? Jesus is just a kind of conduit through which mm -hmm. we can experience what I think that larger thing is, is love. Um, and it's a real struggle right now to see love operating at the core of the universe. There are people like Teilhard de Chardin who believed that love was at the core of the universe, uh, uh, Brian Swim, one of my professors, ponders that question even as a mathematician. Um, these are people who kind of go, what is operating? Is there a consciousness at the core of the universe? And it's hard right now to see that as the thing that's operating. But that's the call for us, I think, to follow the way. Well, you know, the I want to come back to what, what you said, but I think one of the things that affects us, all of us, is the ubiquitousness, the unavoidableness, if that's a word, of what's going on in the media. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And in the media, we hear a lot of negative, angry, down things. And we lose sight of the fact that in many, many, many places all over this country, in the world, there are people of great integrity, people of love and compassion doing work silently that never gets a lot of attention. It doesn't make the front page of the newspapers, but they are transforming lives like Richard Rohr and Cynthia Bergeau and Ilya Delio and Jim Finley and all these other people that we can name. There are people out there who give me hope and encourage my heart. So, even people doing it on a much smaller scale, even than the people that you named, you know, um, yeah. who just, that's the grace that they live their everyday life with, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And and you're right. There are, there are so many examples of that, of goodness in the world. Um, and I think our systems are on overload a little bit right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I saw Trevor Noah perform on Saturday and he was fantastic. I think he's brilliant. Um, but he had a, a comment about with COVID, for example, in this pandemic, that it feels like we're battling something and that's the language that has been used. And typically in times of war, so let's just take World War II for an example, there was an end to it. There was a like white flag running through the street, woohoo, it's over victory. And we haven't had that moment, that moment of ending um, or resolution. And I think that that low level and low to high level anxiety that so many are living with about about not having an ending to something um, is really hard. Um, And that sets a tone. I I think beyond locally, it sets a tone everywhere. Um, That may be the morphogenic fields that, that are operating globally. Why is there such this rush of anger, excitement and total um denial of rule and legislation at a concert is that the morphogenic field of anxiety operating you know and on the same hand as you say there's also the morphogenic field of love and goodness and grace that's also operating well i only know what i read in the paper about Mm -hmm. the performer whose name is scott travis scott travis Scott. scott yeah and uh he was said he was quoted in the paper uh last saying last year that he wants his performances to be all about rage Mm. so he's feeling that too then yeah yeah Uh. and so uh the reading and what little video i've seen he was really encouraging people to rush the stage he was Mm. encouraging uh, a rageful eruption yeah. And he said that's what he wanted to, wanted to happen in his concert. Ugh. Now, he didn't want this to happen. Right. But he wanted it. And so I think that um, I'm drifting far afield now, but I think that uh, the popularity of a TV series that's on, I think, Netflix called um, Midnight Mass is the name of the series. I finished watching it. Yeah, I just couldn't think of the name of it. Okay, okay. I didn't know yeah. it was about vampires. I hadn't watched it yet. Um, it's pretty gory. 
and then the new film with Tom Hanks that's out on Apple TV called Finch. Mm-hmm. It's also an apocalyptic film. And I think what the artists are telling us is that they're viewing that what's going on in the culture right now is, you know, in very dystopian ways. Yeah. It's uh, kind of end times and there's a kind of hopelessness and helplessness about it. Sure. And, you know, as, as people who have spent a lot of time in the mental health field, we both know that there needs to be a, a place where expressions of anger can go, you know, um, and as counselors, we've been taught how to contain those expressions. How do we, how do we keep them in a space where they can be safely expressed and then even sometimes left in that space and compartmentalized in some way. And I just find myself so worried about people who open the floodgates or invite the floodgates to be open, but have no way of containing that rage, right? Um, And that's what someone inviting it does is they invite it, but they have no way of containing it in such a large format. Mm -hmm. Um, I understand the need for an expression of rage. We don't have a way to deal with that healthfully in our culture. This is, you know, this relates to the darkness and to light thing that we're getting into too, is just anger does feel like a consuming dark emotion, but it can have you peel back the layers and it can have a lot of passion, a lot of love, a lot of care behind it. You know, we don't often Mm -hmm. feel angry about things that we don't deeply care about. So I I want to borrow a phrase from Harvey Cox, Uh who was uh, the one who got me to do a postdoc at Harvard and was my professor while I was there. Um, I want to borrow a phrase from one of his books for our talk two weeks from now and talk about the future of faith. Mm -hmm. The future of faith, meaning not a future of belief or not the future of the church, not the future of the institution, not the future of some sort of doctrinal statement, but the future of a faith that can cause us to live with the... um, ambiguities and the disappointments and the inevitable suffering that comes as part of being um, uh, human. And because we're in a Christian institution here and are using the Gospel of John, I I will use a Christian phrase that may or may not be familiar to many people called the Paschal Mystery. How do we have a faith that allows us to live into the reality of death and the, the, the way that the, um, we will find it in the Gospel of John is that um, there is a faith that no death can defeat, no physical death can defeat, which doesn't mean that we live on into some, you know, um, heart-picking creatures sitting on clouds somewhere, but that, that we have a faith that knows that... Um, as Deschardins said, there's an end point of love that we're moving toward. Yeah, it's it's, and as soon as you say that, I go, yeah, but we, you know, I don't want to rest in any binaries, right? Um, but for every act of light, there's also darkness, and we can't know 
we can't know deep love without also deep grief or deep anger, you know? I mean, there's, there, there's always the other side to it. And, the, and perhaps the greatest definition of love is integrating those, integrating those opposites, as Jung right. might say, right? Um, that is the mystery. Yeah. That is the mystery. Yeah. Integrating yeah. life and death. Yeah. Um, and so even within love, integrating love, and if we conceive of its opposite as hate, you know, um, so that love wins every time. There's, I, when we began to talk about Diana Butler Bass, so I, I subscribed to her blog, which is The Cottage. Um, and sometimes I am better at reading it than not, but on the sort of introductory page of that, she has a, she has a poem from a mystical poet called Ibn Arabi. And it says, there was a time I would reject those who were not of my faith, but now my heart has grown capable of taking on all forms. It is a pasture of gazelles, an abbey for monks, a table for the Torah, Kaaba for the pilgrim. My religion is love. Whichever the route love's caravan shall take, that shall be the path of my faith. Mm -hmm. So it, it's bigger than Jesus. And yeah, it is yeah. entirely about Jesus, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and, and her faith, because uh, I've read the book, I, right. I think I can say her faith is that if we reach out in that love to other people, what results is friendship. Mm -hmm. And God knows Ooh. that's what this world needs right now. Deeper than friendship, kinship, right? Yeah. Yeah. The feeling that your well-being is bound up with my well-being, you know, um, whether I like you or not. <laughs> Kinship is about recognizing that there's a care for all that must happen um, in order for us to flourish, you know? And I don't want to belittle or overlook the fact that we're living in a time of disruption. Totally. We're living in a time of deconstruction. We're living in a time of climate crisis. We're living in a time of political chaos. Uh, we're living in the time of this pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, which is still taking many lives around the world. It's not gone away. Mm -mm. We've just uh, begun to love, learn to live with it a little bit better. I think we've also kind of learned to shut it out. Yeah. A, a, a doctor friend of mine says that it's going to move. It's not going to go away. It's going to move from being a pandemic to an endemic. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's where we're headed and our res immune response to it may improve over time, but it, um, it's, it's, it does have the feeling with all the things that you just mentioned that a train is hurtling out of the station and mm -hmm. we don't know where it's going to stop. Um, mm -hmm. So finding calm amidst that, finding hope. Uh, what I wanna say is like defiant hope how do we remain defiantly hopeful amidst this hurtling train? Um, you know, uh, I, w I am not knowledgeable about what I'm about to talk about. <laughs> Go for it anyway. Not being knowledgeable about stuff has never kept me talking about it. I, I wish, and I wish you would exert your influence to make this happen. I wish we could have Ilya on our podcast sometime. I would love to do that. I would love to talk to her about what she sees as the role of artificial intelligence in going forward because she's become 
an expert on that. And the movie that is just out on Apple TV featuring Tom Hanks mm -hmm. is a metaphor about artificial intelligence, the role it plays in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not ruining the movie to tell anybody this, but the world has been hit by a solar flare. The, the earth has been hit by a solar flare that wipes out nearly all humanity. Hmm. And Tom Hanks is a computer engineer who survived in a bunker and he has a dog and he builds a robot. And the robot's specific task is to live when Tom Hanks dies so that the robot can take care of the dog. Hmm. So the metaphor is that those of us who are in all of this disruption and despair and disaster need to be providing things to take care of those we love who are coming behind us. Yeah, that's how our life outlasts us, right? Yeah. Which is what William James says. And, and to me, that is the concept of everlasting life. What am I doing to stretch? Uh, Native American religions often thought um, in terms of stretching forward seven generations and backwards seven generations. What am I doing mm -hmm. to tie these together um, to give hope uh, to the future generations, drawing upon the, the courage, resilience, and bravery of my ancestors, you know, and even the mistakes you know, of my ancestors. <laughs> you know something I... I'm yeah. going to do mm. um, in the next 48 hours. Um, I'm going to contact Michael Dowd uh -huh. and see if he will be on our podcast. Go for it. Um, you know, I, and I'll, I'll email Ilya for sure and CC you and we can both exert our influence. I, about a year ago, she was, she was swamped with things. Um, I think she had had a bike accident had had, I think, yet another brain injury and was trying to minimize her online presence, but also swamped. So maybe maybe things have changed. We'll see. We can keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> um, and maybe, yeah, I mean, I, I think those conversations would be fun to have for sure. And You think Brian Swim would be on our podcast? I can ask. Why not? Why the heck not? <laughs> Yeah, let's uh, let's go for that and yeah. see because I would like to introduce to the people who do listen to this podcast voices of reason and hope that are not ours but somebody else that they can hear talk. You mean so people think we're not the only reasonable people on the planet? <laughs> we're not. <laughs> I don't even know that we qualify as being reasonable people that's some right. of the time. Oh yeah, sometimes that's definitely in doubt. Um yeah, well, it'll that would be fun. Let's definitely do that in the same way that we're trying to make a list for who could be uh, webinar speakers for Ordinary Life as well. It's, I, you know, that may be what sort of the, that thread of connection is, the morphogenic fields that how do we connect these voices and where the use of AI or artificial intelligence can be really useful and exciting. It has the ability to connect us really quickly and without a lot of effort. And um, that is an exciting part of technology. And we also see so many ways that technology has become a serious drain on connection and human relations. 
I, I think that what Diana Butler Bass will bring to the table when she's here on Saturday and Sunday is stressing the fact that what, what Jesus can do for people is not offer them a right religion or a right doctrine or anything like that, but a way, mm-hmm. a way. And we seem to have lost our way mm-hmm. as a country. Uh, and, and you know, you mentioned uh, Greta Thunberg, Thun- Thunberg, yeah. Thunberg on Sunday. Uh, here's this 18-year-old person who is trying to help people find a way mm-hmm. when it comes to our climate crisis, mm-hmm. which we are definitely in. Oh, yeah. Uh, and created. You know, we have also definitely created it. Caleb, my oldest son, has a book called something like 5,000 Interesting Facts, and he had it in the car today when I was driving him to school, and he laughed out loud while he was reading it, and I said, what's funny? And he said, mommy, in the early 1900s, the first speeding ticket was given to someone for going 12 miles per hour in a car, and, you know, we both kind of had a good giggle about it. Uh, and I was, we were in a little bit of traffic, but I was still inching along at about 16 miles per hour. I said, I'm going faster than that right now, but it gave me pause because then I just kind of, you know, looked around and we're in this crawling sea of cars that if looked at from deep space would look like ants crawling all over a planet. And I thought, oh my gosh, we've done so much. There's a, there's a line in a Paul Simon song uh, on his album that he created. That, uh, what is this? Rhythm of the Saints. It's a solo album post Beatles. And he said, the line is, the planet groans every time the earth registers another birth. Wow. And I think about that so much, this groan, this heavy groan and how our impact has dramatically impacted the earth just in the last 100 years, we've gone from a population of 1 billion to 7 billion. In 100 years. It's hard to wrap your mind around. Um, And this is the sort of collective darkness into light moment that we're in and it, may take us a hundred more years to really get into the light, maybe longer, um, to make some deep changes. Nadia Boltz Weber, another favorite of ours, the radical Lutheran minister, she has been kind of off social media lately. And I, I didn't know that I noticed until I saw her on it yesterday. She did a little video telling She said, ironically, I'm here to announce why I'm off social media because I've gotten a lot of questions about it. Um, And she said uh, she had been in grieving about the loss of a nephew. And she posted something about how grief is disfiguring. And she got attacked for the comment. And she said, it just flooded me all of a sudden that on social media like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we don't have a code for how we treat each other. We don't have a covenant. We don't have agreements about our humanity. And so 
what she's done is she's created kind of a fractalized space that is just only for subscribers where people can, where there is a code. And that if you break that code, that covenant with one another, essentially a covenant of, of protection of each other's spirits, then you're not, you're disinvited. <laughs> and she's so right. We have this wide open space. So for example, let's go back to Travis Scott, exploring and feeling rage legitimately, but it's so wide open and there's no code for how to deal with it. You know, we have this grief that's spilling out over the loss of 6 million plus people from COVID and we have no code for how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and, and she's so right. We don't have an agreed upon code for one another. You know, we're in our going through the gospel of John. Um, we say that we could spend a lot of time on any of these passages or stories that we're dealing with. And last week we talked about what does it really mean to be born again or to be saved? And I wish now looking back at that time that we, one of us had talked more about, I think you touched on this, but I, I, what it means to, that we need to be saved from victim and victimization. Mm -hmm. People need to be saved from meaningless. People need to be saved from poverty. People need to be saved from uh, un, unjust treatment um, by the political system, by the courts, by the police departments and all that sort yeah. of stuff. We just, um, we need that kind of saving too, yeah. not just it's Something not a, it's like Sanford said, this is not a religious event. <laughs> this, right. is, this is a way of thinking about ourselves and about each other that ushers us into that covenant, that covenant of care. And you're so right. These are the things we need to be saved from, <laughs> not, um, not the darkness yeah. of our own soul and sinfulness of our own nature, which I don't believe in anymore. But um, yeah. Yeah. Are you saved, Bill? Uh, I'm working on it. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. I'm, I think that the, what we're, what I mean by that for me is um, a commitment to stay aware of being in a process, being involved in a process that's ongoing. Yeah. Um, so I think that the exciting thing to me about teaching ordinary life, about uh, the engagement I have with my clients, the engagement I have with my wife, my kids, with other people who are friends is that there's always more. Mm -hmm. There's more to learn. Um, there's more love to express and to experience. Mm -hmm. and uh, that's what gives meaning mm -hmm. and it's I think it's fatal to think that um, the spiritual work is a once in a lifetime Ugh. event that I have to take care of and put in a drawer and go about doing something else that's exactly right um, the the book uh, field of compassion mm -hmm. in that book Judy Kanoda Kanoda however you say her name stressed the importance of daily engagement and spirituality mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that 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 daily engagement and spirituality is how we affect the world oh yeah and we 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 do it 
Um, it's, you know, the, um, it's the same way that monks uh, are in a monastery, that Thomas Merton was in a monastery, mm -hmm. believing that his solitude and prayers and silence affected the world. And look, mm -hmm. he did. He has, yeah. Yeah. And, and so did so did Jim Finley's feeding the pigs, right? And knowing them by yeah. name. <laughs> yeah. You know, that that's so that true. was his spiritual practice. Yeah. And you know, I think about kind of a return at any given moment. Um, two things to say about that. One is, you know, last night I I went to bed with a, just an extraordinary heaviness on my heart, just with some things we're confronting with with a kiddo. And um I realized I had not done any return to self and pretty much all day. So I just sat on my bed and, you know, just kind of breathed in, breathed out, breathed in, breathed out. And even that small moment of pause allowed some of that tension to leave, you know, and I think we can do things like that multiple times a day as a return. Um, spiritual practice isn't even just a set aside moment of eight to 9 a.m. <laughs> you know, this that's what spiritual practice in a routine gives us throughout the day is the ability to return, um, mm -hmm. return to center. And as you know, you say, these, this is how we change the world. Every single person that we know is an onion and the layers are multiple and the layers are deep. And it's how far do they want to peel back that onion that allows for the deepening of relationship. Did you know that um, on Friday, Josh and I will have been married for 15 years. No, I didn't know that. I can't believe you don't remember that day. I know you remember the day. I remember <laughs> the wedding very, very yeah. well. Yeah, I, I didn't remember the specific date and the anniversary of it. 15 yeah. years, congratulations. Yeah. Well, you know, it's we're baby steps compared to you and Sherry. But on the other hand, a lot of people get to 15 years and don't like each other anymore. And I can say with absolute conviction Ooh, this might make me weepy. I am more smitten with my husband today than I was 15 years ago. That's because, wonderful. Because that those layers have been are peeling back and we have gotten to know each other's hearts more deeply and more deeply. Parenting together helps us know that. Doing life together helps us know that. And I feel really fortunate, as you just mentioned, that relationships like that are the foundation of my life. I uh, have I talked to you about happening up on the Oprah Winfrey interview with Will Smith. You mentioned it in a text. Uh, I love both of those figures as kind of very. Well, I, 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 I can see you. So I know you're sitting down. So I yeah. can't say you sit down. <laughs> this will this will flabbergast you. Uh -huh. I happened upon this program by accident. I was <laughs> looking for something else. And um, so up comes this opportunity to watch a recording of Oprah Winfrey interviewing Will Smith. Mm -hmm. And so I said to Sherry, let's watch this for a few minutes and see what it's like. And it opens up with Oprah Winfrey holding up Will Smith's memoir that he has written, his autobiography, which mm. is thick. Mm. And the, her opening line, she looks out to the audience and says, viewers, I want you to hear me say, this is the best memoir I have ever read. Wow. Wow is right because she has read a lot and she's really, and you know, just that endorsement alone. 
is enough to, I mean, he's got it made now. And and not as if he didn't already have it made, (laughs) but the, the, um, the interview ends up um, with him talking about his marriage and Mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, he's done a lot of work and some of it's uh, pretty off the wall to me. Yeah. You know, he went to Peru and did ayahuasca. Yeah. And a lot. Of, I know a lot of people who have, honestly, and there's a huge following, especially on the West Coast for microdosing um, and doing ayahuasca ceremonies led by a kind of shaman, if you will, as well as microdosing in LSD and mushrooms for healing. And in a clinical controlled setting that is safe, I believe that that stuff can be transformative. Well, it certainly seems to have been for him Yeah. and his understanding of what, of what a marriage is, is just so healthy. Mm, that's beautiful. It's, it's just, nice. it's just wonderful. I encourage people to watch that if they have Apple TV. Yeah. Well, I love that. him and I think he's a really cool, cool. Cat. So <laughs> I, again, uh, Saturday at four 30, you must yes. register to come in here, Diana Butler Bass, but it's free. Child care is provided. Again, on Sunday, she will be giving the sermon at the 8.30 and 11 o'clock service at St. Paul's. And she will be in Orange Life at um, 9.45. Now, we don't know what the format is, um, but if she wants to do a Q&A, I think that our senior pastor, Jeff McDonald, is going to do that. I asked him if he would. Right. and. Um, you and I can sit in the audience and hurl invectives. Yeah. <laughs> Throw um, spitballs or do uh, something. That's right. A clarifying question. If one can only come to one part of Saturday, the early part or the late part, is that okay? Speaking from someone whose kids have soccer games until about five o'clock that yeah. day? Yeah, they, uh, that's okay. Okay. That's okay. You can do that. All righty. Yeah. But well, I do encourage people to come. It's a rare opportunity and... I am renewing uh, my covenant in public on the air that we're going to ramp up having more outside folks in both the podcast and uh, ordinary life. Shake it up a little. Webinar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Thanks, Bill. Hey, Beth.